John chapter 15, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 15. Thank you, Lord, for what you've already said and done here today. We thank you for your good word, Lord, that divides soul and spirit. We thank you for this word that was just read, and we pray that we would consider our ways, God. Help us, Lord. We pray your house be built up, your temple be built up. In the temple of our hearts, our homes, Lord, I pray that you would make your dwelling place rich there, Lord. In the temple of your church, your people, living stone against living stone, we pray you would dwell richly among us, God. We ask for revival. I pray that you would teach us, Lord, just use the, the weakness of this messenger here this morning and teach us, Lord, through your word, what it means to, to live close to you, to live in your love, God. God, I'm praying for a people that have their vessels filled with oil, God. I pray that we would be a people, Lord, that are sensitive to your voice and to your leadership. The cares of this world, the anxiety of this age, the deceitfulness of riches, all these things choke out the word of the Lord in your life and mine. And so he says for us to be anxious for nothing because you and I have been given a precious deposit, a gift that can be choked out. The word that the Lord has put in us, the seeds that he has planted can be choked out. And we have seen heartbreak upon heartbreak upon heartbreak of beloved brothers and sisters filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed for gifts and service and ministry that have fallen away from the faith and that have denied the faith and they've walked away. Why is this? Because the word got choked out inside of them or because they had no root, they were shallow or because their hearts were hardened, whatever it is, the Lord has given us warning after warning in the warning in the scriptures to hold on to what you have. He says, this is a warning for us that I feel so sober about in this last hour here because of what's coming on the earth, which is nothing we have to fear, by the way. But great fire is coming. I met with a dear brother this week. That's such a good talk. And he talked about not being able to hear the, the word of the Lord, not being able to really be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and feeling lost and confused. And I began to ask him what he was doing with his time. And he began to tell me his, his day-to-day activities, month-to-month activities. And by the end of it, I said, your cup is so incredibly full. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What he's full of, which was activity, activity, activity. And even in the middle of that activity, trying to press in and hear the Lord, he was not able to. What do I do? Where do I go from here? And I can answer that question because I've been to the lukewarm place 1,000 times. What does Revelation 3 tell lukewarm people to do who want to get on fire for the Lord again? I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire and I salve 
so that you can see and white garments to cover your nakedness. Because you actually think that you're well clothed. You think that you're well fed. You think that you see everything, the future and what's coming. And he says, actually, you're, pl- you're b- blind and naked and poor and pitiful. When I said, what does it take to buy that? I asked him, what does it mean to go buy? What do you use? And he goes, I don't know, my money. And I said, no. Isaiah 55 says you have to go and buy without price. There's no money. What do you buy with? Because there's a cost. We buy with our lives. It doesn't cost us anything except our entire lives. And from that transaction, from the transaction of our life, we get gold. And we get ISAV to heal our blindness and we actually get righteousness. The righteous deeds of the saint are those, whites, those white garments. We actually begin to walk in the good works that he's prepared for us to walk in. Nothing is more satisfying than living in that place, that abiding place with the Lord. Also, nothing is more fruitful than living in that place. Well, I want to tell you the story this morning real quick of two brothers. Two brothers that had hard words and good words. Two brothers that had harsh words that ended in merciful, weeping words. The first brother is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in Matthew 23, right before we get to John 15, it's recorded in Matthew 23, that Jesus Christ exoriates the the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders with seven different woes. Do you remember that? Jesus just absolutely lays into them. He calls them all kinds of horrible names that would get him canceled in this culture today. The brood of vipers. He's, he, he, he's like talking about hell, like really clearly with them. And he's, he's leaving no stone unturned. He's just letting them have it. Seven woes, full and complete, harsh. It's a harsh chapter. Go read Matthew 23 sometime. And then listen to people talk about Jesus not judging. And at the end of Matthew 23, at the end of Matthew 23, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. It doesn't say it in 23. It says, he, he says, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks. But in Luke 19, it says he's weeping. It's one of the two places he's weeping over Jerusalem. So he, he just annihilates the religious leaders who were keeping his people from coming under his wings and living under his love. You understand that's why he did that. He wasn't just like, I got a chip on my shoulder against these religious leaders guys that have been persecuting me all these years. He did that because they were standing at the door of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, preventing the lost sheep from entering in. That's why he was so passionate. He's like, you yourselves hold the key to knowledge, and yet you're standing in front of the door and you're preventing people to get in. That's why he's like, get out the way and let them in. By the way, you're invited in too, but stop blocking my people from getting in. He wasn't just ticked off at religious leaders. He cared. He wept at the end of that chapter for his people who were like sheep without a shepherd. Right after that, we get to John 15. And Jesus says this, as the Father has loved me, verse 9, so I have loved you. Pause. Come on. That verse, spend an hour a day for the rest of your life on that verse and you'll never get to the bottom of it. What does that mean? How much has the Father loved his Son? 
the height, the length, the breadth. We have, there's no comprehension of that. The triune God that loves one another. And as he's loved me, so I have loved you. Incredible. Now, this is my command to you. I want you to live, remain in my love. I want you to camp right there. Billy Humphrey is one of my favorite teachers. He has the Gripped podcast with Corey Russell. And he says, he starts off every prayer time, every time with the Lord with this verse right here, John 15, 9. Father, thank you, Jesus, that you have loved me the same as the Father has loved you. Now, I just, this morning, even right now, I just live in your love. Come on, just do it. Practice with me right now, if you would. Just lift your hearts to the Lord and say, thank you for your love. I want to live in your love. I want to abide right here. This is our portion all day, every day. This is it. This is what we get access to every waking and or sleeping moment of our lives. By the way, this is what the enemy is working overtime on keeping us out of. Does the father always love us? Yes or no? Absolutely he does. He even loves the lost. He loves the world, his enemies. Do we always live in the awareness of his love? Yes or no? No, I do not. Unfortunately, but I want to. This is what I want to talk about today. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now live, remain, abide in my love. How? Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain, live, abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and I remain in his love. Have you ever noticed that when you do something you know you're not supposed to do, you feel the coldness immediately creep in. And then you're dealing with condemnation, shame, guilt, doubt, all those things. All of a sudden, you are not living in the warm bath of the Father's love. You are living more or less like a prodigal, out on your own, finding your own way. I don't want to follow the Father's commands. I don't want to listen to what he says. I want to make my own decisions. And even if it's a step outside of the door, you can still feel the change in temperature, can't you? Number one, Jesus says, if you want to stay in the Father's love and live there, what you have to do is obey my commands. Well, for crying out loud, how am I supposed to do that? I'm weak sauce. I don't know how to, I don't have the self-discipline, right? I've tried to obey and I just keep on failing. I keep on coming back. Yes. So Jesus says, let me continue this with my brother after I'm gone. He's gonna tell you another story. So let's go to Jude, right before we get to Revelation. You remember Jude, Jesus's half-brother, little, little brother. James also, the wrote the book of James, was Jesus' half-brother as, as well. Jude wrote what's been called a burning book. A, a little short 25-verse hammer here. It's a powerful letter from start to finish. It's a judgment oracle. And it really takes the same template, if you ever study the two, Matthew 23 
that Jesus, where he just eviscerates the, the religious leaders, Jude does the same thing here, almost the entirety of the book, to false teachers and those who are leading the church astray. And so he's just absolutely using a, a harsh tone throughout this epistle, just like Jesus did, about the horrors of apostasy and calling out false teachers for leading God's people to apostasy. Again, not because he hates false teachers, but because he's standing there saying, you're preventing people from entering in. Y'all have to stop that. And I'm calling it out for what it is. He starts off in verse three saying, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled instead to urge you, to write and urge you to contend for the faith which was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. I was going to write to you guys about our common salvation, but last minute I got shifted in my spirit and I felt like I was supposed to write this. You all have to understand that we are in a cosmic battle. We're in the gymnastic games is what, was what that word was used for. We're in a struggle. It's called a fight of faith for a reason. And you have to understand your faith is up for contention. Your faith is to be battled for. Every day the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. Well then, for all those verses, after, after verse three, he talks about ungodly people. He says it six different times and, and how they come in and they cause division. They lead you astray and he gives different analogies. They're wandering stars and wild waves and, and, and they're shepherds who feed only themselves and all these different things and just hammers false teachers again and again and again. But then he gets to, just like Jesus did, he gets to the end of the book and he starts talking about mercy. And he starts talking about snatching them from the fire. And he starts talking about how the Lord's going to keep you to the end. And ends with the most beautiful doxology, I think, of any of the books of the Bible. And I know he was weeping at the end of this. I can feel his heart as I read it again and again. And he was weeping. He's like, snatch him from the fire. Go after them. Be merciful. Just like Jesus did. Because if we're going to bring a harsh message, it must be followed up with tears. That's what Jesus did. And it's not a harsh message, again, to hurt the people who are being mean or being false. It's to get people in. It's a harsh message to open the door for others to come in. Okay, so Jesus in John 15 says, I want you to live in my love. As the Father's loved me, I've loved you. Live in my love. How do you do that? You obey his commands. Well, how in the world do we do that? Well, then Jude gets to this. After all this talk about false teachers, he says in verse 20, but you, that was them, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. It's in triplicate. Keep yourself in God's love. How? Jesus says, obey. Jude says, here's how. You cannot obey unless you put your faith in the obedient one inside of you. 
You and I are mess ups from the beginning. There's nothing good that dwells in us apart from Christ Jesus. In our best efforts, on our best days, we're just religious Pharisees trying to obey all the rules. The only obedient son is the man, Christ Jesus. Amen? So he came to die the death that we deserve to die, yes, but he came to live the life in us that we could not live, the life of perfection. Obedience to all the law. And so if I'm living by sight and not by faith, I will not obey. That's just the, the, the long and short of it. I will not. If I live by faith, though, in the Son of God in me, then I can identify with Galatians. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I knew, live now in the flesh, Galatians 2.20, I live by, come on, Galatians 2.20. The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's the only way to live the Christian life is by faith that he is actually living and moving and working. So he says, you have to build yourselves up in your holy faith, number one, to live in God's love. If you do not, you will not. If you are not built up in your faith, you will not live in God's love. Secondly, you must pray in the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? Well, Ephesians 6 tell us, tells us to pray by all means in the Spirit, all types of prayers and petitions. Pray all different kinds. Always be praying in the Holy Spirit, though, is what he's saying. That's one of the things that it means. Secondly, it means praying in the Spirit, in your prayer language, in tongues. And I'm so sorry for what some of you hear when I said that last sentence. Because this is not a Pentecostal or an evangelical issue. This is the Bible. And this is why there's so much stinking warfare around this little issue here. Not a big deal at all. And yet it's a huge deal. Paul downplays it big time in Corinthians. Like, stop worrying about that. But then he says, it builds you up. It's the only gift of the Holy Spirit that builds you up. Therefore, tons of warfare around this issue. How do you live in the love of God? Well, you're praying all the time. You ever heard the phrase, a marriage that prays together stays together? Well, how do you live in God's love? You pray. You're constantly talking to him, right? And how I live there is I'm using my prayer language throughout the day. I'm praying in tongues on a regular basis. Going back to number one, you build yourself up in your most holy faith. One of the ways you're doing that is by internally, you're praying. How else are we built up in our holy faith, everybody? It's y'all talking to me about what's true and noble and honorable and praiseworthy and reminding me, hey, you're going to get to the other side. Tamsel Coons tells me last night, you're in the middle of the river. This is not where you stop. You're going to get to the other side. I'm like, yes, it's true. Candace Loss is like, David strengthened himself in the Lord. All these words and all this encouragement is good. You've got to go to the Lord and get your strength. I'm like, yes, it's true. It's true. Thomas Kallenbarger texted me during the week, just, are you standing in the counsel of the Lord? I'm like, yes, i got to stand in the counsel of the Lord. I'm so thankful for my brothers and sisters. 
And there's so much warfare against us being unified. So much warfare to keep people away, to keep you separated and isolated. Because when you're around the body of Christ, you can't help but be built up in your most holy faith. Paul was absolutely consumed with this. Read 1 Corinthians 14 and count them seven times. All things must be done for the building up of the body of Christ. All things must be done for the edification of the body of Christ. Let all things be done. Make sure everybody's focused on this building each other up. That's why we get together, guys. We are to build each other up in Christ Jesus until we all attain unity of the faith. I'm telling you what, this is the only way to make it through. This is the only way to make it through the days that are coming is to live in his love. And we said last week, and I mentioned at the beginning of this, we talked about this next season being a season of intimacy with the Lord, growing in intimacy with the Lord. And I wanna challenge you. Dick told us earlier, the word for 2023, what does it look like for you to have a single focus and to say no to some things that you might say yes to the one thing. <clears throat> what does it look like for you in this next season to, with both feet, jump in and seek the Lord? We challenged you guys last week. Some of you have responded to me. I'm so blessed by what the Lord's doing. We challenged you last week to take a day to fast and a day to set aside one hour to pray. Jesus will help you in this, I promise. But what if a group of people fasted and prayed every week for a year? Would the Lord be long in bringing justice and answering their prayers? No, he would not. No, he would not. Because the Lord can't help himself but giving great grace to the humble. And there's no better way to humble your prideful mind and my prideful mind and your hungry, disobedient body and my hungry, disobedient body than by fasting and prayer. No better way to humble yourself than that. What if we devoted ourselves to fasting and prayer? Would the Lord wait long? I promise you he wouldn't. So I wanna reaffirm that challenge to take up your cross, to follow him, to deny yourself and see what happens when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Watch and see what happens in our community, in your families, and what you've been longing for all these years. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up, guys. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Come on, just before we eat here, let's just thank him for bringing the bread of life just thank him for being your sustenance every day. Just thank him for his provision. Just from your heart, just thank him. He's provided for the birds. How much more for us? We're, we're about to eat this food. That's just a representation of our true food. The word of God. Not by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. 
So we thank you for your word. We thank you for feeding us. We thank you for caring for us. Such a good father. I'm asking God boldly that everyone in here, Lord, would learn in a hundredfold way more what it means to live in your love on a daily basis. For all of us, Lord, teach us to live by faith, to obey, Lord, to build ourselves up, to pray, Lord, teach us. I pray great grace over this body. I pray, as Dick said earlier, I pray for the the burning bush to grow, God, and yet not being consumed. We thank you for what's coming. We thank you for your hand. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading us this morning. Now bless these conversations we're about to have. Bless the fellowship we're about to have in the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Bless you guys.